It's Easter morning, and so what that means is normally uh, we would be covering the same text that we talk about every single year. And so this year, whenever I was preparing for Easter, I just couldn't bring myself to do the same sermon. That sermon is powerful, and it's, it's crucial, and we need it, but it's something where, I don't know, there's something about familiarity. Sometimes whenever we get so familiar, so, uh, so close to something, it's, it's easy to miss things and people and things that are closest to you. Um, an example, when someone is losing weight, but you are married to them, you see them every single day, you might not be the first to notice, right? And then you're in trouble, correct? Because, because then someone else is going to be the first one to say, hey, have you noticed how much, right? And you want that to be you. But when you see someone every single day, there's something about it where when it's right in our face, we can miss things, okay? And so with Easter, Easter is one of those things where most of us feel like we know it, we have it, we understand it, and it's right here in our face. And when you're that close to something, sometimes you miss things. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to take Easter, I want to take the resurrection from a different angle. I want to kind of step back a little bit, because I think there's some things that we're missing uh, which are taking place. When we talk about Easter, it's crucial that we place Easter in side of a bigger story. And we always talk about that here at Grace. There's a bigger story going on. Easter is a major chapter, but it's a major chapter in a book, in a journey, a story that is progressing. And Easter is taking us towards the climax. And what happens here is in Genesis, let me put that, in the beginning of the book and also in the end, we see a story about separation. It's this idea. It's this idea where here is, is earth and here is heaven right? And of course, if heaven's here and earth is here, we also think that what is down here? Right, okay. Now, now things have changed for us today, right? I'm like, do you believe heaven is up there? And everyone goes, should I nod? Should I not? Right? Now again, this story is based on the way that they understood the world. They understood the idea that wherever I'm standing, that is up. Whereas we know, we can be in the South Pole and be standing, and we're not even sure if that's down or up or north, south, east, or west, right? We don't even have a clue yet as humans what is, if you would, the horizon. What is baseline in the universe? We don't even know. Like, is this star above us? Are we under it? Are we at the top? We have no clue where we are in the world. But this story was based with the idea that we know that, and we know that heaven is up there, that the earth is like this, and that underneath our feet is Satan. But what's What's still true about this, what is the most true and real and kind of the, the, the pressing uh, issue of the story is that we understood that in some way, shape, or form that man was here and that God was here. That the one who created us, that the way that things should be was here and the, and the, and the way that things really are is somehow down here. And so we have the story of the idea where here is the Garden of Eden where God creates the world, creates man, and he's with us. It, if you would imagine this, when you say God, you're also picturing heaven. And when you say man, you're also picturing earth and vice versa. So in Genesis, when it says, and here's the garden, and here's man, and here's God, the picture is here is heaven and here is earth. They are together. Here is man and God and they are together. And then we have the story of separation, and something is, is ripped apart. And now we have that, this issue, because now we have man and earth, and now we have heaven and God, and there is separation. And so for Jews, what reminded them of the separation was this veil that they had. And so 
And they had this holy place where there's this huge, monstrous veil. It's thick and heavy, and there's only a select few who go past it. And this veil is always to remind them that something is broken in the world and that we are separated from God. That, that the way things ought to be, things are not. And so here comes Jesus, and he begins to interpret the story, and he begins to, you know, to bring his message, his gospel of the good news. And his gospel of the good news was, behold, the way you should pray is that the Father in heaven should bring his will and his kingdom to earth. And then he began to explain this prayer, and he began to explain that the way that heaven and earth were going to be married, the way that God was going to return to the earth, the way that the two were going to be married again, was through Him, the Son of God. And so we have all this kind of built-up tension. What, what, what does this look like when God comes down here? Like, what does it look like when something that's broken is mended? What does it look like when, when something that's separated is joined and married together again? And so we have all this expectation that Jesus is going to usher in the marriage, the, the merging of the two which are separated. And then, of course, that leads us to Good Friday. He dies, the skies turn black, and this veil is torn. But yet, even though the veil is torn, it seems to have this empty meaning because when the veil is torn, we look to Jesus, his last breath is gone. He's dead. The one who's going to fix everything hasn't. Because when this veil is torn, to all their excitement, the flame of the presence of God behind the veil, the, the fact that God is now going to be released into the world when the veil is torn, what do they find? They find nothing. This veil is torn, and the presence of God, which is being held back for our protection, is torn, and all of a sudden, with it, they look back, and there's nothing. The fire's gone out. God is not to be found. And so on Saturday... It's the day that we mourn this. We kind of sit in the space of realizing that we live in a world that is broken and absent of what is, is what is most needed. But then comes Sunday. And we have to understand is this. The resurrection has so much built into it that it's going to take us years to kind of unfold layers of it. But what is happening here is when Jesus first appears to the disciples, there is a confusion. You find this difficulty to understand who he is. He talks to them, he looks at them, he's in front of them, but yet they don't quite get it. They don't quite understand. And then, one by one, they begin to kind of realize who this is. This is Jesus. This is the same one who taught us, who comforted us, who, who ate with us, who talked with us, who sat with us. This is the same person, but it takes time. Because there's something familiar in Jesus, the way he talks, the way he moves. He still has the same, he has the scars in his hands. He allows Thomas to touch his side. But there's something different too. There's something that's just not the same about him. And so the church for thousands of years, we have believed that Jesus, his resurrected body, it is the first sign, it's the first kind of a preview of what the future is going to be. Because the first place that heaven and earth meet, the first place that man and God are joined together in unity, the first place that we have a glimpse of what it's going to look like from the book of Revelation with the new heaven and the new earth, when all things are mended and married back and made whole, the first glimpse of what that looks like is the resurrected body of Jesus. Fully man, fully God, 
fully restored from death and sin, decay, but yet He walks and He talks and He eats and He drinks and He fellowships and He hugs. There's something about this convergence. And so Jesus becomes the sign to us of what the future is going to be. So let me kind of just float this to you this morning. Jesus is the first preview we have of the future. He is the, he is the example of the hope that we have. What is it going to be like on the other side of this life? What is, what's coming? And Jesus is the first glimpse of this. So, with that in mind, I want to break this down a little bit. There are some things that, that he kind of shows us in this passage in Luke. What happens here with Jesus is he appears to them like multiple times. And it's, it's kind of an odd thing because every time Jesus appears, again, they're kind of like taken back. They're not, is this really Jesus? Is it not? And so what we find out, this is the third time that Jesus has shown himself to, um, to the disciples. We find out that they're out fishing. Now, what's great about this is that here's the, the disciples after a stressful, emotional kind of a, a roller coaster, and we find them doing what they know best. They're fishing, right? They've gone back to their, their happy place. What is your happy place, right? Okay, right? There's a, a place where when your world gets kind of turned upside down, there's a place you go. Whenever I was younger, it was my car. That was where, you know, I, I would listen to music. I'd go for drives. That's kind of where I would get my head right. Now, there are some people who like to go fishing, Right? Hands. Are we in Arkansas today or what? Okay, two hands. It's Easter, but you should raise your hand, you know. Gracious. And so, again, we find them in their happy place. They are, they're going back to, to what's home to them, what's familiar. So they're out fishing. Here comes Jesus. He's on the shore. He calls out to them. And, of course, you know, the story is just great. Because he calls out to them. And when they hear him, they're, you know, a little bit unsure who it is. What's so great about this? Uh, just, I love it. And so what's happening here is we find out that there is like this issue with, you know, who is this? How do we know who this is? How do we understand things he's saying to us? And yet, there's something about this encounter that really kind of hits home with them. And so what we see in this is that there is a space where Jesus begins to identify every need that these men have. Who's into psychology here at all? Okay, now this is Arkansas. I didn't expect too many hands, right? Okay. Hey, about the same as fishing. That is awesome. So Maslow has this idea of the hierarchy of needs. This is what man needs to be fully alive. He needs these things in order to, to, to kind of find his stasis, to be happy in existence, to not be overly stressed, not be too down, too, too high, too low. And so what happens in this, in this story, when I read over the story, it was amazing how I see Jesus begins to identify every fundamental need that his disciples have. What's happening is that the world has been turned upside down. Everything that they could trust, everything that they could lean on has been taken from them. And there's a place of, of instability. And what's powerful about this passage is that we see that the resurrection meets us wherever we are this morning. Because see, we always have a need. Now those needs might change. They might, they might rove and, and transform with every single season that we're in, but we always have need of something. And so depending on what that need is, it depends on the places where we go to have that need met. 
And what we see with Jesus is we see the resurrection meets us in every single place which we are. And so I want to start with this one. The first thing we see in this passage in Luke is, is we see that Jesus understands the need for something familiar, for home. Now, picture home in your mind. Just kind of picture it, okay? Home. What is home to you, right? Just a lot of image to kind of come up. What's going to come to most of you if you guys are engaging in this, what's going to pop up to you is memories. And these memories are going to be very ordinary things for you. Because when you think of home, we're not thinking of like this amazing experience we had. We went and did this great thing. Home is a familiar place. It's an anchoring place, right? And there's something about home that we need because we need to have a sense of, of the known. How do I say that? It's almost as if to hold something in your hand that is familiar, that is a keepsake. Who has a has like a keepsake from your when you're a child? Your your glove, your binky, uh, okay, right, like a blanket. Like you have something that you've kind of carried with you for a very long time. It's a keepsake from your family. There's a need inside humans to be anchored, right? To be rooted. There's there's a need to be connected to something that is beyond this present moment. What's powerful about this text? We look down here in uh, verse 37. Here's what it says. They were terrified and afraid. They, they thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Just kind of pause right there for this moment. Here is Jesus. He's here. He's present with them. And what is going on with them? I mean, you would think. Here's Jesus in the flesh. He's present with them, but yet what's rising on the inside is, is doubt, fear, the unknown. There's something about fear. There's a difference in fears. See, there's one fear where I could tell you it's a tiger is loose in the sanctuary, and you see the tiger, and you fear for what? Harm. That thing's going to bite me, correct? Okay. But then there's fear of the unknown, a ghost. Is a ghost going to bite you? I have no idea if a ghost is going to bite me. That's why it's scary, right? It's unknown. It's not that Jesus shows up and he has like, he, you know, there's all sorts of things I can say. But okay. It's not that he showed up to scare them, right? Like, you know, he's, he's not dressed up in a, in a costume like Freddy Cougar. He's just, there's something that they know that has changed. And there's something about change. There's something about the new, which is what? Scary. Because we all love change. Correct? Absolutely. And so, even though this is exciting, even though they would rather him be alive than dead, right? I mean, like they've been mourning the fact that he's dead. Surely they want him to be alive, but there's something that's different. And that different is enough to create fear on the inside. And so this morning, there is a a need from all of us as something familiar, something grounding, something kind of a, I don't know, something that makes us feel at home. They said that one of the best things to do after you fly is to walk around barefoot, right? To kind of get a sense, a feel for where you are. You're not in the air anymore. We went to the Sears Tower in Chicago. Have you guys ever done that? Anyone? Hands? Okay. So like, um, they have like this glass box. You walk out in the glass box, 
And your brain says, you should not be doing this, right? <laughs> this is not a good idea. This is both fear and the unknown. This is both fears, okay? And so you, and so you step out, and there's something that you're just like, this? Mm-mm. It's just not right. And so when you step off, there's this need to get down and do this, right? <laughs> like, like, right, right? Like, you're like, brain, we are on, this is, this is, this is, this is safe. This is what happens when Jesus eats with them. If you notice in verse uh, 35, the road to Emmaus story, they didn't, they're, they're sharing this, this story about like how they realized it was Jesus. They said, we didn't realize it was him until he broke the bread. Right? There's something about this, this person who they were with for years and years, and every day they sat down and they broke bread. Every single day they sat down and they did this familiar practice of eating together. And so what's he do here? As fear is arising inside of them, he talks to them and he says, look, my hands and my feet, it's really me. Touch me and see. For a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you say I have. I love that passage. There's no need to worry, I'm not a ghost. I love that. If I were God and I said, you're a ghost, I'd say, it's ridiculous. You idiot. Of course I'm not a ghost. I'm God. I mean, oh, don't worry. I'm not a ghost. I have, I have flesh and bones. And as he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And of course, that's because there's a reason to show what's in the hands and the feet. Because they were wondering and questioning in the midst of their happiness. Remember, we are human, meaning we are complex. In the middle of being happy and excited, and ex there is a joy, a passion, but in the middle of it, there is uncertainty. And so what he does is he roots them in something. And so he, he takes fish and bread and they eat together. And he brings a familiar. There's something about the resurrection that meets every one of us who needs home. We need something older than us. We need something more real than, our, than the present moment. We need something that grounds us, that tells us that we are present and we are here. Something about this world that moves so fast where it's important to slow down and the resurrection will meet you in that space and say, slow down. This is home. The next thing we need is we need safety. And there's something about safety... Because see, to be safe is not just to actually be safe. For example, if you went to prison right now, think about that. And if you went to solitary confinement right now, think about that, happy Easter. You, you would not be, I don't think you would feel very safe, would you? Now in that cell, would you be safe? Probably much safer than you are right now much safer than when you get into your car and you drive to wherever you're going after service. But there's something about this unfamiliar environment where it, you don't feel safe. It's not just that we need safety, it's that we need to feel safe. And there's something about the resurrection that tells us that it doesn't matter what you're going to face in your next breath. On the other side of it, there is life. On the other side of cancer, of death, on the other side of divorce, there is life. The journey doesn't end and it only gets better. There is a safety in knowing that. If you actually knew, when you went to sleep at night, if you knew that you would wake up the next day. See, most nights when you sleep well, we assume that we're going to wake up. Correct? Have you ever like, gone to sleep afraid? Not sure that you're going to wake up the next day? It is terrifying 
terrifying. You, you cannot rest. You cannot relax. You cannot sleep. There's a lack of peace. And see, what the resurrection offers us is peace, safety. It doesn't matter what comes. There is something that comes after that. And the resurrection gets even better than that. Because see, it takes us from home, it takes us from peace, and it takes us completely somewhere else. It takes us to the need for more than safety. Because, okay, if I were to tell you, all right, we will make you a safe room, and it will be 10 by 10, okay? You'll you have enough room for a bed, a kitchen, you know, some room to kind of sit down and play, and you can be in there with your best friend, with your spouse, whoever, but you're going to stay in there. It's safe. It's absolutely safe. No one will ever harm you. No germs, disease, no nuclear bombs, nothing, okay? No one's going to rob you. No need for your Second Amendment right in this box, right? You're safe, okay? You're safe in the box. Would that be enough for you for the rest of your life? Safety. See, the problem is safety alone is not enough for us as humans. If the resurrection only offered us safety, that's not enough. See, the reason that a lot of people have kind of ignored Christianity and the faith is all we've offered them is safety. Hey, if you don't want to burn in hell forever, come to our church. Cool, and that works for a while. But I need more than that. What else do you offer? And so if you notice in the passage, he goes down here. Let's go down here to verse... Uh, 44, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I stood with you, that everything written about me in the law from Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Let's just stop there. Now, for us, it doesn't mean anything, correct? Everything written in, in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and the Psalms, and all of you go, right? Okay, I guess not. It, it's fascinating to all of you. Is that, is that fascinating? Sure. You all just love to talk about the prophets um, over lunch? Correct? Yeah, I don't think so. It doesn't have the impact on us that has from what they're hearing is this. The, the oldest, largest story, the, the biggest movement in all of creation that you are part of, that your entire life has been about thinking about how is God going to bring this thing to pass. The most powerful movement in your life you get to be a part of it right now. What your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents, what they dreamed about, you get to taste it here. Their heart is moving. It's pumping. There's something exciting about this. And of course, they, you know, it gets kind of scary after this. And he goes on, he tells them about, oh, you know, you're going to take this message. And you know, by the way, uh, you might die. And you know, Super exciting stuff, but he gives them adventure. See, there's something about we need new. Okay, I don't care if you're the most boring person in this room. You still need something new added to your life occasionally. Even if it's just changing out the flowers in your living room or something like that, you need to change the environment. There, we have this need for experience. We need to, to feel, to see, to touch new things. You see, the resurrection, it meets us with adventure. Because see, life, if all life is, is, is simply this. It, it, this is all we have. 
The people in this world who are convinced that all we have is this life, they tend to be the most adventurous. They're going to make the most out of this life. They're going to, you know, to rock climb, you know, go skydiving. They're going to go do whatever it is because they just want to live. And I think for all of us, even if you're an introvert and you're conservative and you're not one of those people, there's still a little bit about us who we envy that. Just a little bit. You know, my second son, Liam, he is that. He's going to do it. I can't wait to just watch him. Just like, let me live through you. Send me pictures and postcards. And just, I want to know about the excitement, that, about the, the amazing things you get to experience because I'm too boring to ever do it. But I still want to. There's still a part of me that wants to. And see, science, if science alone is true, if, if science alone with no mystery, with no, with no unknown to it, with no story to it, if science alone is correct, then what we are going to do is when you give your last breath in some kind of a beautiful way, you're going to decay. And you're going to be eaten by worms and microbes. And you're going to be recycled hey, it's very green, back into the universe. And your energy will be a part of the ever-expanding cosmos. Sounds pretty, right? I mean, really, it is. And it's even true to a certain extent. We'll explain that some other day. But what's missing is I. How do I get to be a part of that? That doesn't sound like a journey that I get to go on, right? Sure, my skin cells might be a part of a supernova star somewhere. Beautiful. I'm not going to be aware to enjoy it. It's kind of sad. Right? Or not. I mean, if that's thrilling to you, beautiful, right? If I take an Eastern approach, I say, well, in some way, shape, or form, we're all going to lose the self. And in some way, shape, or form, we're all going to find a way to put off the me. And we're all going to be sucked up into the universal I. The we. Sounds beautiful on paper, man. It's, it's poetic. But there's something deep in me that says that's beautiful. And there's, there's parts of that that ring true to me. But there's something missing. I want adventure. I want journey. I want to be a part of something. If this life, if there's something after this life, I want to experience it. I want to be aware. I want to feel it. What the resurrection offers us is a body. And it eats, and it drinks, and it touches, and it hugs, and it holds, and it sleeps, and it flies, and it walks through walls. You're not excited about that part. I'm pretty excited about that part. That's pretty awesome. Sweet. That sounds pretty good. It's a body built for more. Now, we don't know what the more is. We know that the Apostle Paul talks about the cosmos and the universe, that God is reconciling all things in all creation. Sounds pretty scientific and Eastern. And he's reconciling all things back, him, back into himself. Sounds a lot, lot, you know, a lot like Eastern thought. We're all being brought back together into this one unity. But there's something unique about the Christian story. But you get to experience this as you. Your journey doesn't end. There's adventure. There is more. And see, the moment we lose hope for more, the moment we lose hope of, ex- of existing, of feeling, 
of expressing, of being loved and loving, of knowing and being known, the moment we lose those things, our desire to continue, it disappears. And as he continues with them, he offers some purpose. So you can be rich and safe and healthy, but if you have no purpose. See, you can have all the other great things of life, you know, all the other things that we need in life, but if you have no purpose. I'm not sure what it is about humans, but we need to do something. We need to be needed. We need to have something to put our energies, to create, to, to, to form, to, to express. We need something to do. I'm terrified of retirement. Now, that's not all personalities. I understand that. Okay? But, but I don't care what your personality is. If you're going to retire, you have to have a plan of what to do after you're done working. And the odds are it's going to be a new kind of work that you call a hobby. <laughs> oh, I just love to tinker and build things. Yeah, whatever, you know. Woodworking, cars, whatever. You're going to be putting hands, creativity, energy into something. And what Jesus offers us in the resurrection is the something. And the Apostle Paul even explains all this. And basically we have this, this extremely dramatic picture of If you embrace this, if you want to follow Jesus to the other side, there is something to do for you. There is a purpose. There is a a way for you to to know where you fit, to, to, to produce things, to offer things to people, to be connected in ways that you create and you express. And it is, it's needed. We need satisfaction. Have you ever done a job and you were just satisfied with it? Okay, I'm not going to hire any of you anytime soon, right? Okay, <laughs> just think about it. I mean, just for me, Easter, I mean, Easter. Easter used to be for us and for me the time that we did huge projects. We used to go absolutely nuts. It was stupid. It was very stupid. I and, mean, you know, we'd be here for night after night. But I loved it because I got to actually do something. I got to finish drywall or or carpentry or, you know, mowing the lawn. And I got to sit back and go, look what I did. Right? And it's, it's needed. If you're searching for purpose, the resurrection, it meets you there. And here's the, the part of the story I didn't have us read because I, I want to kind of offer it last. If you guys go with me back to the passage, Luke 24, I want to start in verse 50. I made sure that they didn't read that this morning. I want to read it to you. It says this, He led them out as far as Bethany. We, we have ideas that this might even be the garden. He might, he might be leading them back out to the exact location where he, he last left them when they were praying together. Where he lifted his hands and he blessed them. Now, I, I just kind of love the imagery here. He's with them. He's appeared. Their world is upside down. He's, he's met them in their, in their fear. He's met them in their need to be, to be rude, to feel like the world isn't spinning, <laughs> that they know what's up and down and left and right. He's met them in their need for purpose and adventure. He's met them in all these things, but there's something missing. And so he begins to walk with them outside. And as they're walking together and they're talking, um, you can notice when someone's about to leave, right? Have you guys ever? Okay. So as a pastor, I, I go have meals and coffee all week long. It's my favorite thing to do. But you can always tell like when someone's ready to go. Come on. Yes? And if I ate with you, I knew when you were ready to go too. 
well, don't want to hold you up, pastor. Right? Which means I'm done talking to you. This is boring. Right? I got to get out of here. Right? There's a way that, you know, it's almost like we have to get ready. We have to kind of prime ourselves to leave. It's kind of a form of communication. So if you're walking with someone, you kind of start slowing down and kind of turning. Right? You know what I'm saying? Okay. So I, I can picture this moment. They're walking, they're walking, and the entire time they're dreading the moment because they know he's about to leave them again. Because he's been saying over and over again, this is about the things I told you about. This is what I told you was coming. And they're walking and they're waiting for it. I can just imagine just kind of watching every step and kind of trying to read all of his, his body signs. And he begins to slow and he turns around and they're just, their heart is beginning to sink. And he does something here, which, which I find very beautiful. And he says he stops to bless them. Now, some traditions say that the reason he raises his hand, it's, it, it's a sign of, like a, of leadership, and he's, he's conferring this authority and anointing. But the feel of this encounter, the way he treats them when he first sees them, the way he sits down with them, the way he has them touch his hands, and he shows them his feet, the way he embraces them, the way that he, he eats with them, to me, I don't feel like that's what happens here. The Ethiopian church believes that this is the place where Jesus gives his hugs, his, his last embrace, which is something that to me feels much more true to the way that he's been with them during this time. It makes some sense because if, if it were me, that's what I would want. You know, you, you know, here's the last moment with Jesus and he goes, be blessed, right? You're like, what? that's not what we needed, right? He raised his hand and he blessed them the way Moses blessed the Israelites. I don't want that, Right? I want more than that. And so what they say, what psychologists say about us as humans is one of the deepest needs we have is to belong, to be embraced, to feel a part of something, to feel as if someone has brought us into something bigger than ourselves. And so Jesus has offered them safety, home, adventure, purpose. And the last thing he offers before he leaves, he offers his embrace. And I think this kind of speaks to all of us because the resurrection is often like we speak about it and it's power and there's, there's you know, we overcome death and sin and there's this, this great kind of like you say like light, like, you know, it pierces through darkness and it's, it's all powerful imagery. But there's something inside of us that like the more we talk about those things, the, the more detached it feels from us. That's great and awesome. But it just seems to skip over me. And so I love this passage because it's in this passage where the resurrection, the power, and the, the, the mystery, the complexity, the, the overcoming of death and sin and all these amazing things, he doesn't overlook us. He doesn't overlook what we need. And even with all this going on, right, he, he stops for a last embrace. And so this morning, I think that's one of the things that, that all of us need. We need to feel accepted, to, to belong. And what's beautiful is this. He is embracing every one of his disciples who at some point in some way failed them. I almost had us teach from John this morning because there's a passage in John where he's talking to Peter and he says, Peter, if you love me, and of course Peter goes, of course I do. And he says, feed my sheep. Seems like a really awkward answer, I know. If you love me, would you go home and feed the dogs? You know, right? <laughs> It seems awkward. But what's happening here with Peter, and again, what I think is 
we understand with these accounts, they're all kind of folded in together. The idea is that all these accounts are taking place in the same kind of a week, uh, if you would. And so it's all kind of a, a mesh. And so these, these emotions are present in this moment. And with Peter, I noticed the other day reading, he says it to him three times. He says, Peter, if you love me. Peter, if you love me. Peter, if you love me. And each time Peter, his emotions are just kind of roaring. And he says, of course I do, of course I do. Well, there's a reason three is very important. The last time that he had been asked about Jesus, what did he do? He denied Jesus how many times? Three times. Jesus didn't need to say, feed my sheep three times. Peter needed him to say it three times. It's not just that Jesus needed to to embrace, it's that we need it. Yes, the resurrection is beautiful. We need freedom from death and from sin and from this broken world. We need that. We need it from our broken selves. We need to know things can be healed and made whole. We need that. But we need to know that that applies here. Not just death, but me. And here in this passage, he sits with, he stops with them. He stops after all of the, the highs and the lows and the emotions and the frustrations and the doubt and the fear and the struggle and the shame. And he stops with them and he embraces them. He blesses them. He, he takes his hands and he blesses them. And I love this part. And so this morning, this is the part I want to leave us with this morning. It doesn't matter where we are today. The resurrection meets us exactly where we are. It doesn't matter how successful, how intelligent, how mature, how healthy we are. We have need. We have need. It's a personal, it's a, it's a real need on the inside. And He meets us in each of these places. And the resurrection is not just power and fireworks. It's not just overcoming death. As beautiful and needed as it is, it's not just you know, overcoming sin. That is needed. It's not just the story of, of, of heaven and earth meeting itself. This is the God who in Himself came and He stops with us and meets us. Would you guys stand with me this morning? So Father, we just kind of come to You this morning and we kind of let our guard down this morning. It's Easter, we all have our best on, and we're about to go get those plastic eggs and all that good stuff. Well, we just kind of let it all go right now. We, kinda, we allow the plans that we have after this meeting, we kind of just we let that go. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lead us in a place of vulnerability this morning. I was researching, and I really got, you know I complain about Easter eggs every year. I hate egg hunts. Okay, I love your children. I love my children. I know they love the eggs. That's why we do it. I hate that we do egg hunts. And so I was doing research. I said, I got to figure out this egg thing. Is there any like good memory? I mean, like, is there anything of meaning I can think of when I think of the eggs so I can like embrace it more and be an encouraging pastor? Get those eggs, you know? I don't know. And so I started to research it. I found out this. I found out that the Eastern Orthodox Church, the other ones, who started the whole egg thing. It's all their fault, okay? And so what they did was this. They would take eggs, and they would paint them red. And the red was a symbol of the blood of Jesus. And the shell was a picture of 
the rigidness, the, the hardness of sin and death. If you would, like the black and white. You, you're born, you die, right? You're born, you're a sinner. You get the idea, right? You're broken. And it, it wasn't just, the shell wasn't just a symbol of the world's brokenness and of death. It was a symbol of my brokenness. And, and what they would do with these eggs is they would bring them and they would hand them to each other. It's the idea of handing each other their brokenness. Here's my brokenness. And on Easter, what they would do is they would break these eggs. And you would break it. What would ooze out of the brokenness is the yolk. Life. It helped me a little bit with the egg hunt, right? No. We're doing real eggs next year, okay? You tell the kids, and we're going to break them. <laughs> that wouldn't go well. So, Father, we just take this kind of uh, this image. We offer ourselves the, the hardness, the rigidness of our brokenness, of our sin, the parts of us that we hide, the parts of us that we push down, the parts of us that we keep from people, uh, the parts of us that put us first, the parts of us that don't trust anyone, the parts of us that don't trust you, the parts of us that are bitter, that are angry, that are broken, the parts of us that don't feel safe, that don't feel like we have a home, that don't feel grounded, the world feels like it's just going up and down and all around, the parts of us that don't feel like we have any purpose, the parts of us that feel like we don't belong. We bring that to you this morning. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and give us the courage to break. To break. Lord, we ask that those real emotions, those real needs would come out this morning. We ask that you would meet us where we are today. It's right now, Father, I just ask, Lord, for a sweet move that you would just meet us that you would meet us. Now what starts here wouldn't end here. That you would meet us, that you go with us this morning. That you would meet us in our brokenness, that we would let you lead us into breaking. Because we know on the other side of breaking, on the other side of death, there's life. The other side of brokenness, there's healing, there's wholeness. And we ask that you would allow you heal us, meet us, embrace us, Give us safety and a home and purpose and a future. And no matter what the need is this morning, we ask that the resurrection to the Spirit of God would meet every single person in this place this morning. And everyone said, Amen, Amen.